my fellow plebs. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Moon Mortgage. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage makes it possible to materialize your assets into real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investments in owner-occupied property. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will also be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.com today to register and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. My fellow plebs, River is setting a new standard in Bitcoin. At river.com, you'll pay zero fees when you dollar cost average. Truly the best way to build your Bitcoin wealth. All Bitcoin at River is held in secure cold storage with 100% full reserves. There's no need to wonder what's happening behind the scenes. Your Bitcoin is your Bitcoin to withdraw at any time. Additionally, River lets you make Bitcoin payments via the Lightning Network, offers a Lightning integration for developers, and allows you to mine Bitcoin directly to your River account. River has a level of service that is unheard of in this industry, including phone support, private client advisors, and the ability to designate beneficiaries to inherit your Bitcoin wealth. River has become the premium name in Bitcoin that anyone can easily access. Sure, you have a place to buy Bitcoin, but have you tried River? See and feel the difference at river.com and the River iOS app, the preferred partner of Bitcoin Magazine. Today's episode is brought to you by Gordon Law Group. If you've tried to do Bitcoin taxes yourself, you know how complicated it is. You can spend hours and hours going through your transactions and researching tax forms, and you're still not sure if it's right or if the IRS will come after you. Or maybe you're so intimidated by Bitcoin taxes that you don't even know where to start. Gordon Law Group can help. Ditch the spreadsheets and feel confident with a bulletproof Bitcoin tax return. They can help with IRS payment plans, and they also provide a full range of legal and accounting services for Bitcoin and digital asset startups. Get your taxes done right the first time with the original Bitcoin and digital asset tax pros. Go to gordonlawltd.com forward slash BTC. As a bonus, they'll send you the ultimate Bitcoin tax guide for free. That's gordonlawltd.com forward slash BTC. What is up, everybody? We are back with a new episode of FedWatch. Big show today. My name is Ansel Lindner. I'm here with my co-host, CK. What's going on, CK? Doing good. Excited to be joined by producer Chris. What is up? It was great seeing both of y'all in Miami. Glad to be here, guys. Happy to have me. Yep. And so we have a big show. The topics today are going to be Bitcoin 2023 debrief. What are the macro implications? What are the Bitcoin implications? Big picture stuff. What are our takeaways from the conference? Then I want to refocus FedWatch, our show here, refocus it on the macro situation in general. So we're going to take a look at some charts for the dollar, oil, some of those big markets out there. Um, and if that sounds interesting, guys, like, share, subscribe. Make sure you're subscribed here and or, uh, or I guess on YouTube and or on Rumble. We still are having the back and forth battle between Rumble and YouTube to see who is going to come out supreme. So make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. Other than that, guys, I want to plug my website, bitcoinandmarkets.com. Uh, 
I just put out a new article this morning or a new blog post called De-Dollarization and Inflation. And I want to follow that up in the next few days here with a, an article on Bitcoin Magazine. Hopefully I can get it put up there called De-Dollarization and Bitcoin. So that, that's one of the big terms we hear out there, de-dollarization in macro. We're going to talk about the dollar today. We're going to talk about Bitcoin and how it plays in with de-dollarization. So check that out at BitcoinAndMarkets.com. So, all right, guys, uh, any plugs from you up front? I mean, obviously, this is the best time to get your Bitcoin 24 ticket. It's going to be moving <laughs> yeah. to Nashville. That was one of the biggest headlines of the event was, thank you, Miami, for an incredible three years. We are excited to bring the event to Nashville next july it is going to be absolutely incredible it's going to be in the music city uh center in downtown nashville right on broadway and it is going to be absolutely electric we already have bitcoin being beamed on top of honky tonks uh there's a lot of awesome stuff happening wow. and nashville is going to be rolling out the orange carpet for bitcoiners across the planet so really excited to bring bitcoin 24 to nashville yeah, and CK, I mean, Miami feels like a home away from home, but let's be honest, Nashville, we're playing in the home court. So we have some home, yeah. really, really cool things. Obviously, it's the headquarters of Bitcoin Magazine. We have Bitcoin Park there. Uh, you know, can't wait to be at the convention center there. Uh, so we're really looking forward to bringing some really special things and basically uh, showing our home off to the world. Uh, that is Bitcoin 2024. Yeah, and again, the dates there, that is July 25th through the 27th. Again, you can get pre-sale on GA industry and whale passes. A lot of whale passes flying off the shelves. People want to get that VIP experience and you can get it for under 5,000 bucks. Typically whale passes go for up to $10,000. So uh, definitely a lot of reason to buy the whale pass right now. Uh, and in general, we are doing our best this upcoming year to keep the GA pass as affordable as possible. We just want to make this event as accessible um, and we understand in the past that uh, late ticket prices have been expensive uh, and we want to be as cognizant about how to keep that price down for uh, folks that are just trying to attend the event as a GA. Antle, this year you attended as a speaker. Yeah. Um, I think that's the first time that you were part of programming. Uh, what was your experience yeah. uh, going around the event? We bumped into each other a few times. Well, before I talk about that, one of the guys on my uh, Telegram has already bought a ticket for next year. So Let's yeah, go. they are already starting to sell. Oh, lots yeah, of them uh, have my... sold. Lots of them have sold. Uh, we're cruising towards getting 10% uh, of people who went to Bitcoin 2023 have already purchased a Bitcoin 24 ticket. And uh, once wow. we pass that 10% threshold, I'm going to be pushing it as far as possible. So uh, get them now, y'all, because ticket prices, they go up. That's what they do. Awesome. Yeah, my overall experience. Um, well, it was awesome. I was honored to be on the news desk. Um, I think it my my uh, time on the news desk went very smoothly. It was great to meet Martel Fox and uh, Joe Hall and Pete Rizzo. I've never met Pete Rizzo in life, even though I've kind of interacted with him on the internet here a little bit. But um, yeah, it was it was great. And the the first day, you know, it's industry day. It was a little bit slower and then it did pick up on the second and third day. I know there's a lot of talk about the attendance and all that, but uh, my point is that last year we had a ton of altcoiners there. And this year we had very few, you know, maybe just a handful, 5% of the people were, were altcoiners. And so there were probably more Bitcoiners this year than there were last year because there are so many altcoiners. So what, what are your guys' take on that? Or um, do you have any other comments on the attendance and stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the tourists go away. Um, so that's that's a real thing. We're going over the numbers, and they were down, but you know, they're still 15k, which is which is awesome. Our goal, you know, once we got close enough to the event to you know realize that we could not overtake Bitcoin 2022, uh, was we need to overtake Bitcoin 21, and we did do that. So this is the second biggest Bitcoin event in history. And, you know, I think we set the floor uh, of like what the Bitcoin conference is going to be, uh, even in a down market. So there are waves. I think we did a really good job of putting together an event that was oriented towards uh, the people who are here building. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, the next hype cycle it might be next year, it might be 2025. Uh, but we'll be ready for that. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I hate to use the cliche like big, uh, bear markets are for building, but it's really true. I think Jack Maller's announcement was really cool, basically opening up Strike to 3 billion users, which is really, really cool. I know some people have qualms against it. It's a custodial option. I get that. I think one of the things that was buried that a lot of people, even in our org, don't realize, like Dusty Damon has been working on this thing called splicing. It is something that basically allows you to open uh, or expand lightning liquidity channels without closing and reopening channels. Basically, you're doing an on-chain payment and you're looping it into an existing channel and you can open up and expand the liquidity. He believes that this can open up to 500 million to a billion more users, like help expanding liquidity. Because obviously there's issues with the lightning network as it is right now. Like you open a channel between CK and I and, oh, we only opened up a 1 million sat channel, but we need to make it a 5 million sat channel because we're doing more payments. You have to close the channel and then reestablish a new one or leave that open and then open in a new channel. So with splicing, you basically do an on-chain payment and you you rope it in. He's been working on it for the, I want to say almost three years, two and a half years. And like, obviously he was kind of building silently. A lot of people had no comments on it, even though he was doing it fully open source. And then basically last year, there was funny, there's a tweet from him. And it says, I just spliced my first channel. This was more of like in alpha or beta. And this year at the conference, he said in the talk, he's like, oh, like, I think I did this in March last year. And someone from the audience yells, no, you did it first at Bitcoin 2022. So, you know, we're building in the bear market. Uh, and he ha- they found the tweet from April 6th for Bitcoin 2022 down in Miami. But now he's further developed, built it out. And, you know, it was just kind of in alpha then. He's really getting ready to expand it and launch this. So very, very cool. It's on open source GA day one. Uh, It's from the three hour and 57 mark to four hours and 16 minutes. So it's about a 20 minute panel. But I definitely recommend a lot of the hardcore Bitcoiners or developers check it out. Uh, Like I said, he plans that he thinks they can get to 500 million to a billion users. Time will only tell, but I'm really excited for this. And there was a lot of other cool announcements on the open source stage as well. Chris, I mean, uh, you right now are, it's like, this is your conference right now because our video production team is super hard at work, pretty much taking all the content that was created at the event, digesting it, producing it and getting it out. Uh, when can people expect to get all of this content out? What are you, what is the team hard at work at? And just even describe the, the, the size of this job. Cause it's a lot of work. Yeah, no, thank you, CK. Uh, All of the content should be out by June 9th. So not this Friday, not next Friday, but the following Friday. Uh, Yeah, me and our our two other video editors, Andrew and Tino, a shout out to you guys. We're hard at work. Uh, I, I would say like we're kind of the first ones watching the content. Obviously, if you're there in person, you got to see it live. But like we are going through all the stages. I'm like 
endlessly watching tons and tons of content. So I'm kind of the first eyes to be on all the content or Tino and Andrea and myself are the first eyes on all of the content. Uh, we are trying to get it out as fast as possible. Obviously we had four stages, three different days. The news desk counting is an additional stage. We have a couple talks in the deep. If you want to count that as a sixth stage. So we're going through a lot of content. We promise for all sponsors, speakers, uh, people that were at the conference, we are going as fast as possible, but there is only three of us. Uh, and we're kind of flooding our YouTube channel. So we're trying to space it out so that way we don't have subscriber churn and, and all of that. But yeah, I mean, this is a, a team effort. Uh, I want to thank all of our uh, partners and consultants that helped put on the live stream and the uh, the talks in general, speakers, sponsors, all of that, uh, and basically all the attendees as well. This would not be possible without you guys. And we really hope we're expanding. And you know, our mission at Bitcoin Magazine is hyper-Bitcoinization. So I know some of the talks were not for everyone. I'm personally not a very political person. I know a lot of the hardcore cypherpunks either, but you know, that is a talk for the masses for them to be like, Hey, like there was a bunch of political candidates that were talking about Bitcoin. Maybe this is something that I should look into. So we're trying to have something for everyone. And I understand that not everything is for everyone. So uh, that's just my, kind of my two sats on all the talks and, and everything that was programmed. Yeah. And I, yeah, go for it. Ansel. I was just going to ask about how many hours is it about like a hundred hours of content or uh, 200 hours more, more than that, probably like 150 hours of content. I think, uh, I mean, when you, when you, when you break it down of all the different things Put it yeah. all together. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, I was going to say, Ansel, I know you were paying attention to the kind of the presidential element of this event. Yeah, yeah. Um, something that I noted was that yesterday didn't happen at our event, but I think it was, and I'm speculating that it was related to our event was Ron DeSantis you know, one being asked about Bitcoin by David Sachs, who is a big RFK fan and undoubtedly was paying attention to RFK's first public appearance. Um, and, you know, Ron DeSantis kind of going from just being anti-CBDC to now pro-Bitcoin. And, you know, what is now becoming a, fav uh, a viral catchphrase is, you know, I'm for people doing Bitcoin. You know, that happened last night. And I think that that was affected by, you know, RFK coming on stage and making Bitcoin 2023 his first public appearance to endorse. And, you know, I think RFK, you know, almost got every single checkpoint that I would want to get uh, from a candidate at this point uh, done. I'm, I'm kind of curious. Do you think that mm -hmm. there is an element there? Uh, do you think that, uh, you know, obviously we've entered into a new paradigm in the game theory? Ansel, what's your response to that? Yeah, I mean, if you are a pro freedom candidate, which I don't know any candidate for American uh, U.S. president that is not going to say that they're pro-freedom, right? So if you're a pro-freedom candidate, you have to now you know, acknowledge Bitcoin and maybe even accept Bitcoin for donations for your, your campaign and all of that. Um, I didn't see the DeSantis announcement, to be honest with you. I did see that he uh, was on Twitter spaces last night and there was some uh, hiccups with Twitter spaces, but they had up millions and millions of people. I think there was like, the hiccups were because it was it was a the largest Twitter space in history. So it's like yeah. I saw people trolling them for that, but it's like you're trolling them for the success of that they had the largest right. Twitter space ever. Yeah, and and there was right. a great thing. There was like yeah, this is like a hundred x the viewership of normal mainstream media cable news. So like yeah, you can you can't True. fault them for when they're like basically breaking the app because of how much viewership and attention was on Twitter last night. True. Yeah. And um, to Chris's point there a second ago about how some people in Bitcoin might not like the political candidates and stuff. I mean, Bitcoin is a big tent. And that's another thing that this conference showed that, you know, there's all sorts of people in Bitcoin now from 
open source developers and the cypherpunks to miners, uh, people that are dealing in Washington, um, lobbying and uh, politicians in general. So Bitcoin is a very big tent. The tent is getting bigger. And what I thought was interesting was get rid of the altcoins this year and, you know, like FTX uh, and some OK coin or whatever. Get rid of those guys. And the tent actually got bigger, more people, more topics, um, more professionalism came in to the conference. So what do you guys think about uh, the big tent idea for Bitcoin? Yeah, I mean, I'll kind of I'll, I'll start with CK's idea. He thinks Bitcoin's for everyone and he thinks Bitcoin's going to outperform altcoins to the point where altcoiners come into Bitcoin and become Bitcoiners. We're kind of seeing that already with ordinals and in inscriptions. And I'm well aware that that was a contentious topic. Um, there's been a lot of talk of when it was placed in it. But um, yeah, so uh, I just definitely think that's a very good point. CK, anything that you want to add there? Well, you know, I think what a lot of let's just call them hardcore Bitcoin best practicers uh, get upset at Bitcoiners or Bitcoin magazine about with the conference is the fact that this is not a hardcore uh, open source, uh, you know, Bitcoin focused event and that it is this big tent event. You know, ultimately, if you look at what we are doing, the open source stage by itself, like that's like a uh, an open source Bitcoin conference within the conference. So we are doing our best to kind of accommodate all the parties, but we have a very wide and open uh, kind of view of what the Bitcoin industry is. Our definition of the Bitcoin industry is any party that is leveraging Bitcoin natively and in using it within their business. That's our definition of it. And, you know, we are trying to reach across the aisle to the people in the altcoin space and, and show them you should take Bitcoin seriously. You know, Bitcoin is where it's at. And that's why we've staked our, our flag here. And you should be a part of this, too. It, it, you, it, it, we are not trying to keep it within the Bitcoin best practices. We're trying to bring everyone together. And we want to show that maybe the people who aren't following the best practices that the best practices are smart and cool, too. Right. Like that. That's mm. kind of part of it. We want them to be exposed to the Bitcoin industry uh, in a greater way. We don't want them to just go to consensus where Justin Sun is on every single poster. Right. So, um, you know, <laughs> I, again, I, I think that we push the envelope for everyone and, you know, maybe even for for some of the hardcore Bitcoiners out there. Um, you know, again, just have a, a more open mind to we are creating a big platform for everyone. Um, and we, we're doing our best to accommodate what you want. And I think we do a good job of that. But you have to also accept that we're, we're going to make a big event, right? And if you don't like that, that's fine. Go to Bitcoin Week. You don't necessarily have to go to our event. Uh, and there's a lot of other great Bitcoin events. There's meetups. There's regional events. Um, but we are creating a unique product for a unique reason. And it's a platform that is affecting the tides, right? You know, whether it's 2021 with El Salvador, uh, whether it's 2023 with now this new presidential election race and the narratives that mean something here, um, I think that our platform definitely matters. And uh, we're seeing that play out just days after the conference. Yeah, great points. Um, I mean, I, I saw a ton of hold your own keys, you know, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. That was all over the main stage. It wasn't just in the open source. It was throughout the entire thing. It's best practices Even, for sure, but we're bringing people yeah. together so they can see that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've noticed too, um, Vivek Ramaswamy, whatever his name is, yep, uh, got he it. had he he used the term term Overton window, right? 
we're expanding the Overton window, but not in Bitcoin. We're expanding the Overton window of politics. We're expanding the Overton window of environmentalism. We're expanding the Overton window of all these other things and bringing Bitcoin in to these other topics. So I, that's the way I would like to look at it. And um, another thing I, I'm, I love I'm, that. Make a I'm stealing that moving forward is that's what we're doing is expanding the Overton window. Thank you, Miami, for the last three years in this amazing city. The whole world shut down, but Miami welcomed us with open arms. We want to show Bitcoin to the whole world. We are taking the conference on the road to set the stage for Bitcoin in a new city. Nashville. Bitcoin 2024 is coming to Nashville in Tennessee. A city that is known as a music and freedom city. Bitcoin 2024 in Nashville from July 25th to 27th. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts, Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. Yeah, I, I wanted to make a comment about the Wizards because I think it was just enough. I think it, that was just enough to show kind of the silliness of maybe certain parts of the altcoin side of the house versus the seriousness of Bitcoin. Um, and once you let, I mean, if you let the altcoiners and you let uh, these other people run kind of uh, rough shot over the, the event, then they will turn it into a clown show. So I think it was just enough and it did its job of highlighting certain the change that we're seeing in the space. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I, I can start with that. I mean, um, it was a debate that we wanted various people to do the debate. I know programming was fighting to get various people on there. Uh, some people had to back out for personal reasons, and that's between us and them. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we really want to debate like is using Bitcoin within its consensus code or within its rules since Taproot was upgraded, is that a valid use of Bitcoin? And that was kind of what we wanted to bring to the house. Obviously, Eric and Udi have their incentives and, and their prerogatives for what they want to use with ordinals. Obviously, you know, the Taproot Wizards is, is their project and they're trying to sell that. You know, I have no issue with doing that. Um, Rizzo brought up one of the best points I've ever heard on this debate. So obviously we're talking about using Bitcoin within its consensus code. That, that is really what an inscription is. Obviously through the eyes of ordinals, you have to use the ordinal lens or the way of looking at it. But Rizzo, a lot of people were bent out of shape that one sat's not going for one sat, meaning that you're selling one, like a, a sat with an inscription on it for more than one sat. But Rizzo made up one of the, probably the best point in the Bitcoin industry for, this has been a debate for years non-KYC Bitcoin costs more than KYC Bitcoin. And why is that? That's basically saying sats are valued at different denomination depending on the information that's externally attached to it. KYC info on that Bitcoin makes it less valuable. And that's something that's been on for, for ye literally years now. 
So he said the KYC why, discount. Yeah, exactly. So why would non-KYC sats be a different denomination or value? And you could see this on the open market with BISC, with HODL, HODL, with uh, Peach Bitcoin. Like the list goes on and on. There is a different exchange rate for non-KYC Bitcoin versus KYC Bitcoin. And why is it this one narrow niche of someone saying this one sat's worth X amount of sats because there's something tied to it, whether that's an inscription or data or information? Why is everyone bent out of shape for this use case, but not when it's non-KYC versus KYC sats? So that's Rizzo's best argument. And that's something that I, I steal and use because it's the absolute truth. I don't know if there's anything you want to add there, CK. You know, I think people, uh, one, need to be more bullish. Uh, Bitcoin is working as intended. <laughs> like the idea that like there can be so many rare sats that it actually ruins Bitcoin's fungibility is oxymoronic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so True. Um, like Bitcoin, if it works, none of this matters. You have lots of sats. You're going to be fine. Bitcoin's going to be fine. So, um, yeah, you know, I think a lot of people get bent out of shape. Uh, they make themselves look foolish. And all the reality is, is like, this is all part of the course. You know, if you're too smart to accept what is happening in Bitcoin as like what is meant to be, then, uh, you know, I think you, mm. you might not be humble enough. Um, this whole, you know, and guess what? If you're so smart, why didn't you see this coming? Why did every single disrespector root for taproot activation via speedy trial? You know, maybe there's five of them that, you know, fit the Venn diagram of disrespecting uh, this stuff and for being against speedy trial. So uh, answer that to me. If you're so smart, then why did you miss this? Right. Um, so clearly you're not, in my opinion. Uh, and you need to humble yourself to what is happening here. And okay, hey, you know, the conference, they, we make mistakes. Mistakes happen every single event. I would have to give ourselves a pat on the back. Every time we make a mistake, we get better from it. You know, lines were bad in 2021. Lines were impeccable in 2023 with more people, right? Um, production was bad in 2022. Production was impeccable in 2022. Like every single thing that happens wrong, we fix it. Novogratz said the wrong things in 2022. He was not invited back in 2023. Um, mm. So, hey, maybe maybe we could have separated the most important speech from maybe the most controversial speech on stage. But, you know, if you look at the grand scheme of things, like we have the balls to have controversial speeches. And that's why we have important speeches. You can't separate them. And if you can't have a controversial speech, if you can't get out of the bubble, then you're never going to get that you're never going to expand the Overton window. And if you can, show me someone else that has. So uh, that would be my, my pushback on, you know, maybe a lot of people who are out there. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, can I can ahead, I add Chris. one quick thing to Ansel too? Sure. Uh, I mean, I was loosely uh, in programming because I was obviously scheduling out the news desk with uh, with guidance from the programming team. But the thing that that is more difficult that people don't realize with political candidates, we're kind of at the whim of their schedule when we add them in. And in order to move a bunch of panels, you start conflicting with times with things that have already been set in stone or we've seen set in stone. So I know we've gotten flack for having the ordinals debate right then, but literally Eric Wall was on a panel and he had to rush. He only had 10 minutes to get from the open source stage to the main stage. And that was the only time that really fit. If we started moving the ordinals debate other spot, it might've conflicted with one of the other speaking engagements. So I, I know like the timing of it may not have been ideal, but like when you're trying to schedule out over 300 
keynote speakers, moving just one person affects the entire schedule. And I literally mean the entire schedule when you do that. So it's not something that is done overnight. It's not something that was done lightly. Uh, but yeah, like even moving someone five minutes causes a whole ripple effect that causes the whole schedule to be, you know, changed and upended. So uh, yeah, like, like I said, th that's just kind of me defending the programming side of things that people don't see on the back end. Yeah, I, I wanted to say that I thought the timing was great. <laughs> it highlighted the big tent of Bitcoin, you know, and it also highlighted, like CK said, that um, we're not Bitcoiners don't want to shut down debate. You know, we don't shame people publicly and try to get them to shut shut up. We bring them on stage and debate them. Right. So I think that's a very uh, I thought it was great. It highlighted two very distinct parts of Bitcoin's ecosystem and back to back like that, it ruffled feathers and Hey, it is having a conversation or starting a conversation about this space. So I think it's, it's all good. Any other thoughts on, uh, Bitcoin Yo, 2023 we've been we talking Bitcoin conference for 25 minutes here. That's almost half the show. Right, I know we right. got a hard stop. We got a lot of macro yeah. to get into. I mean, Chris, do you want to hang around for macro or should it just be Ansel and I? Uh, yeah, I'll pop backstage. I'll let you guys do it because we got a, we got a hard stop at 1.30. But uh, yeah, guys, it's been a pleasure shooting the shit with you guys. Looking forward to Bitcoin 2024 in Nashville. Make sure to get your tickets. B.TC forward slash conference forward slash 2024. No, that's it. Oh, that's it. That's it. Conference. That's all you need, baby. July 25th to the 27th. Hey, PM live. Save yourself 10% off. Yeah, sounds good. All right. I'm going backstage, guys. I'll pull up the charts. Looking forward to it. All right. Okay, so a lot of people have been, their attention has been drawn to the conference, of, rightly so, and maybe some people have lost sight of what's going on out there in macro. So I put together a few charts, starting with the Bitcoin price, and I have a couple different moving averages on here. This is the 128-day EMA and simple moving average, and how did I pick this out? Well, Tone Vase, this is one of his biggest uh, moving averages that he watches, uh, the 128-day SMA, and so I thought I would put this on the chart. Um, right now we have touched it with the wick, um, price has sold off a little bit, but not much. A lot of people were thinking it was going to dump, uh, you know, with the build kind of like the, uh, conference would be a sell the news type of event, but that really hasn't happened. We're holding these levels quite well and above major support. So CK, what are you thinking about the price holding these levels and, um, what are you looking at, uh, for the future? Oh man, uh, Bitcoin price makes me feel a little bit nervous, to be honest. We're definitely pushing up against uh, several support uh, lines here. Uh, so we'll see what happens, honestly. I don't have a whole lot of analysis uh, that is, uh, other than I'm a little bit scared, and that's just a gut feeling, really. Scared, but uh, where are the sellers going to come from? CK. It's, it's a good point. Well, I'll tell you, I'm a buyer. So I'm just, I'll just yeah. keep stacking uh, my, my normal uh, weekly DCAs. And uh, if things dump a lot, then, you know, I'll be, I'll be moving some from savings into, uh, into extra long-term savings. So uh, that, that's my prerogative. Uh, but, you know, again, uh, it's always scary when, uh, when, you know, marginal sellers could dump and, you know, who knows, who knows? Yeah. All right, let's go to the next chart. This is a weekly chart of Bitcoin, and this has the 200-week moving average, which has been important in Bitcoin's history. You can see we are also right on top of that level. Um, 
this looks scary for a lot of people, like CK was saying. Um, but I did. That's see what I'm saying, from, man. <laughs> we're we're rubbing up against a lot of these moving averages, and you know, usually that's not the best sign. Yep, uh, I did see a chart from Checkmate that I did not include here uh, in the slide deck, but it is showing the um, sell sell side risk for Bitcoin, and it is at near an all time low. So there are not, there is, sellers are exhausted. There is not a lot of uh, available liquid Bitcoin to sell at this time. The, you know, the amount of Bitcoin on exchanges has been plummeting in recent months. And so uh, where are all the sellers going to come from? That my, my argument here is we could see a little bit of a sell-off, but it will be very temporary and it'll be a buy the dip opportunity. Uh, Most... Does that check with what you're seeing? Yeah, the most optimistic thing about what we're seeing here is that from where we, it looks like we bottomed, um, we've only seen higher highs and higher lows. So, you know, obviously it's been two more higher highs and two more higher lows, but um, especially it's very clear on this weekly chart. Um, but we'll see. We'll see still. Again, I don't like, I don't like getting so close to so many moving averages. Uh, so, you know, if, if you're right, if, if seller exhaustion uh, is at weekly lows and we can't go further down, we'll see. You know, I always I just keep stacking responsibly. Awesome. Let's go to slide number five, please, Chris. Skip forward a few. This is the S&P 500. And you said higher highs and higher lows. This is exactly what we're seeing still on the S&P 500. Recently hit a a. Let's see how many months high is that? Uh, I mean, it goes way back into September august september of 2020 so yeah the the stock market is going continuing to go higher despite the calls for recession if you go to the next slide that is the nasdaq and it is at a 52 week high right now and you can see the big gap up today with some good earnings numbers out so the stock market is quite bullish at this time showing new highs new yearly highs um, Nvidia has been moving too. Uh, I don't know how much of this is uh, Nvidia driven, but you know they're having massive, massive gains. Yeah, and if Bitcoin is correlated with the stock market, um, if that correlation continues, which I, eventually it will break, right? But um, if it continues here near term, we're seeing stocks not selling off like people have been saying. Uh, they're actually making new highs. So Bitcoin, I think. Uh, finding support on these moving averages, uh, correlated markets are going higher. So I think it, it is, we have to lean bullish here in the near term, even for Bitcoin. Uh, any thoughts on the stock market? Well, hey, producer Chris is throwing in the chat, when money mm -hmm. dies vibes. So uh, <laughs> if you read that book uh, during the Weimar Republic, uh, you know, kind of hyperinflation, uh, we, we saw a ton of volatility and we saw assets moon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I went back and looked at some of the previous recessions like the dot com and the great financial crisis, and we did not see this same sort of behavior out of the stock market. You know, we did not have a, a golden cross from the stock market during the entire entirety of those recessions. Um, we have seen a golden cross now in the, the both both the Nasdaq and the S&P 500. Uh, we didn't see a 52 week high in the recession. And so here we're seeing a 52 week high in the NASDAQ. So this is very different than other recessions. I mean, you can't look at these and uh, a TA or an analyst can't be like, 
looking at the charts and saying, oh, this is definitely going to, you know, uh, sell off here. We're, we're going on the second leg of the recession. That has never happened before in the charts. I mean, going back to like 1960, however far uh, trading view can go back. So this is definitely different and um, making new yearly highs, I think is extremely bullish. What's okay. next, Ansel? All right, is the dollar, if you go back to number three, Chris, is this is the DXY. And of course, this is the narrow dollar index against the major currencies, mainly the euro. But we have made a double bottom in an Adam and Eve formation, and we are going higher. Um, I would have been call, uh, questioning my assumptions and calling into question my uh, thesis if we broke down below the 100 mark on this chart. But now we are ripping back, back upwards, and the strong dollar is the growing narrative out there, a dollar wrecking ball. Uh, coming back, maybe dollar wrecking ball 2.0 for the end of 2023. If you go to the next slide, that is the broad, broad dollar, broad trade weighted dollar. You can see that a very similar formation here, Adam and Eve, double bottom, maybe even a triple bottom on this chart and going back higher, making some new higher highs. So CK, any thoughts on the dollar here? Dollar chart. And nothing to really add. Um, Again, I think the dollar is going to be one of the most important assets moving forward. I, you know, the thesis of the show is we don't buy the the uh, the de-dollarization thesis per se. Our thesis is that there's actually a dollar shortage, uh, which is why you know a lot of these other entities and explicitly Argentina, you know, they're trying to trade using other things because they just don't have dollars in the country, and that's one of the problems yeah. with the dollar is. Uh, is the shortage of the supply as it contracts, it, as it deflates. It's fascinating to see it kind of oscillate between uh, the milkshake effect and then uh, and then kind of returning back to the mean. Yeah, uh, there, I think there's a big difference between voluntary de-dollarization and involuntary de-dollarization. So the, these people, as the dollar gets stronger and we have the dollar milkshake or the dollar wrecking ball, uh, they are in it's involuntary that they are being de-dollarized. You know, they're losing access to dollars out there to pay their debts and everything. So um, I do think there's de-dollarization happening, but it's not because the dollar is weak. It's because the dollar is so strong versus relative to everything else. And so I think we will see a big spike up on these charts in um, dollar versus other currencies. That's all I have for dollar. Anything else to add? Not a ton to add. Again, uh, one of the most important elements of what's happening in the future. My personal thesis is it's hyper dollarization followed by hyper Bitcoinization. You know, that's the path that we're on. Um, but, you know, that's just that's just me. Yeah. And I also want to point out that a lot of people think the Fed loses if we hyper inflate. But that's kind of what the Fed wants. You know, the, a debtor nation wants to decrease the value, debase their debt. So they, the Fed loses, actually, if we go through deflation. That's when the Fed is losing, when the dollar gets too strong and the global economy is wrecked. So, uh, yeah, if you want the, the Fed to fail, then you should be thinking that, or if you think the Fed will fail because the Fed uh, is central planning never works, then you should think that the dollar will get stronger. You can't think the Fed will fail and the dollar will get weaker. So anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in there. 
Okay, next slide up is or next new paradigm. Up. New paradigm. <laughs> People aren't uh, talking at this level, <laughs> but you know we're, we're about that five D chess on the Fed. So strong, strong dollar is the Fed base. It is the Fed failing. You heard it here first. Yep, yep. Okay, let's go to uh, WTI. This is oil chart number seven, and it's uh there was uh, some news out of Russia this morning, I believe, or maybe last night saying that they are not going to be cutting production. And there's a lot of uh, speculation that, oh, without Western expertise and these Western companies, eventually the Russian oil production will have to fall off. Um, and that will be, uh, you know, obviously negative for global oil production and supply. But so far that hasn't happened. And that news today has uh, created a minor sell-off here. Also in the oil market there was some comments by what's his name msb or what the mbs from saudi arabia the leader over there he said that the short sellers should watch out that he's going after the short sellers so people are thinking that that means that uh there's going to be another opec production cut coming in the near future and you can see i have left these arrows on here of the last two production cuts, and they really haven't done much of anything. So perhaps OPEC will uh, throw another million barrels per day or something like that, a cut coming at the market. But yeah, oil is not uh, accelerating like a lot of the inflationistas have thought. So CK, any thoughts on oil or energy markets, anything you've seen in the news lately that you wanted to bring up? Nothing, but I, I do want to ask you a clarifying question. Can you explain maybe to anyone who may not have watched this show before, what's yeah, the yeah. connection between, you know, oil prices uh, and uh, oil demand and uh, the economy? Okay, so obviously when oil price goes up, that's going to make the price of everything else go up. And that's not necessarily inflation, right? That is uh, supply or cost, it's cost push inflation where the, the cost of oil goes higher. So the cost of everything else goes higher. It's not money printing. Um, but overall, my why I have been bearish on oil uh, and have been preaching this for a couple years now is that as we go into a global recession, demand is going to fall. And I think demand is going to fall much more than what people expect. So even OPEC cutting 3.6 million barrels per day. The U.S. is still a couple hundred thousand um, barrels per day off of its peak. So the, the oil production in the world is lower than it was in 2019, but prices are still going down. Why is that? Well, that's because demand is falling. So I expect the oil price to continue lower because demand is falling and that should push down prices and work uh, into a lower CPI and a lower inflation, quote unquote, inflation narrative. Does that make sense, CK? No, it makes sense. And I just, it's such an important point. Uh, we're going to talk about China later, but there's a lot of talk about the China reopening. Uh, it's going to drive the economy red hot. You know, it's nice to see yeah. stocks going up in the US. Obviously, if you hold stocks, you hold Bitcoin, but we didn't necessarily see. Um, China reopening juice oil prices or juice the price of shipping across, um, you know, across the Atlantic or the Pacific. Uh, and 
uh on top of that you know i have i do have like an anecdote again you know i like to bring in the anecdote i have a friend who uh, is in the shipping industry he's a sales guy and he is like there's no money to be made he's thinking about actually changing industries wow. altogether because there's no money to be made in shipping right now yeah one of my neighbors uh here he has um a trucking company and he's been saying similar that you know they, they went through a boom in 2021 and 2022 and now it's just falling off a cliff with the transportation costs and what they can get for everything. So, um, yeah, it's, it, and of course, when semi trucks aren't moving, they're not burning diesel. They don't need the gasoline. The demand continues to go down. So yeah, very interesting. Okay. I have two more charts. Let's whiz through these and then we'll get to that China story. Like you mentioned, um, first one up is the U S 10 year treasury. Chris, if you could bring up number eight, please. And on this chart, I just have the steps of the federal fund, Fed funds target range and the 10 year. This highlighted gray box is kind of where I have been saying uh, is somewhat of an equilibrium for the US 10 year right now. Uh, you can see recently we have shot up. Now, when you look at this chart and you watch this show, you have to always keep in mind the interest rate fallacy. So people think lower interest rates are stimulatory. But in reality, it's that lower rates mean that money is tight and high rates mean that money is loose. And we know this from the Fed Sluice Report, which is a senior loan officer survey that they do quarterly. It just came out recently and they said that uh, lending standards continue to tighten as well as demand continues to fall. So when demand falls and uh, lending standards tighten, actually rates go down. And that is the interest rate fallacy from Morgan Friedman or Morgan Friedman, uh, Milton Friedman. Uh, but anyway, so you can see here on the chart, rates are getting a little bit uh, higher. What that tells me is there is somewhat of a rebound in the U.S. economy. We can see that same sort of uh, confirmation from the stock market. So uh, I think that's a pretty good barometer. If you go to the next slide, this is the one that CK you, you like is the rainbow chart. And you can see the three month just continues to rip higher above the Fed funds target range. Uh, and the one month uh, treasury bill is actually higher than the three month here. So it's way higher than the Fed funds target range. And the two year, five year and 10 year have all started going higher. Now, some of this also could be driven by the debt ceiling debate. I don't have any slides for that this week. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. I think next week is when it really comes to a head. So um, some of these uh, price movements or interest rate movements are going to be driven off that dynamic. Uh, but overall, this is what we're seeing. So CK, any comments on interest rates? Well, you all know I'm not an expert, but it's just fascinating to watch this chart. Um, it's fascinating to ask yourself, is the Fed really in charge based on this chart? Um, and yeah, I don't know what the dynamics that are causing the three-year to really stick with the uh, their hikes. Um, and it's very interesting seeing everything else pucker up as well. So uh, we'll see You know, over time. I, I really do think that this is the chart that uh, indicates if the Fed is actually in charge or not. Um, and it's been saying one narrative for a very long time. Awesome. Well, that's all the charts I have. Uh, let's move on to the Chinese real estate market. Uh, I'm going to bring this story up myself. Where did I have this? Uh, great. 
one second guys hey you know i'll i'll, I'll film the the time while you're looking for the right. chart Do it. and you know you know i would just say that you know as we're continuing to watch what's happening in the global economy uh as we're beginning to continue to forecast what is going to be happening in different presidential and uh political elections across the globe uh you know i think it is extremely interesting to see Bitcoin, this tiny, tiny asset, just to put into context how tiny it is, NVIDIA's move earlier today uh, and yesterday, uh, you know, that move was equivalent to like 50% of Bitcoin's market cap. So the fact that such a tiny asset is in everyone's mouth, I think it, it just shows the gravity and the disruptiveness of this thing. Uh, and I think the uh, we are definitely moving into the stage where it is being recognized as something to take seriously rather than something to chastise or write off. Absolutely. Okay. I, I pulled it up here in the headline for people on the podcast after afterwards, listening to this, uh, the headline is world's largest real estate market on the brink of collapse. We've talked about, this uh, Hey, this headline has been going on for years, by the way. So I just yes. want to throw this out there that at least the last two years we've been hearing this headline brink yeah. of collapse. So take that with a grain of salt. Well, yeah, and we have been reporting on it here. Um, and ever since these headlines started hitting the the wire, I've been bearish on China, and that has seemed to be the correct position. Uh, but this keeps getting worse. So let's uh, I'll read through this a little bit. Recent statistics from China's central bank show that home buyers' enthusiasm has fallen drastically. Despite price cuts and incentives, the world's largest housing market continues to slump, and China's banking sector is taking a hit on two fronts as both defaults and prepayments rise. Meanwhile, China's developers are starting to show the strain, with real estate giant Wanda Group making headlines this week as the value of its dollar bonds plunge. Now remember, this is a Chinese real estate giant funding itself with dollar-denominated bonds. Is the dollar dying or not? Uh, so anyway, let's continue here. In early 2023, the Chinese real estate market had a short-lived rebound as local governments across the country issued policies to bail out the failing retail, sorry, real estate sector, according to the China Index Academy, a real estate research institute. By the end of April, the mortgage rate for first-time homebuyers in more than 40 cities had been lowered to below 4%. Public statistics show that sales of previously owned homes in China's largest cities all showed double-digit declines in April. Among them, Beijing fell 37.3%, Hangzhou fell 32.7%, Shanghai 26.7%, and Nanjing fell 13%. The worst decline was Hefei, which plunged 40%. So these are... Uh, Public st statistics uh, showing sales of previously owned homes in China's largest cities are declining at crazy, crazy double-digit numbers. Okay, Huge. I'm going to. I don't. I don't envy you for having to pronounce those uh, city names as well. Uh, I would. You're doing a great job. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. Okay, so then uh, we have another report here. According to Ren Zeping, he's a prominent economist, uh, I guess, out of China, and he says that the market value of China's market, uh, sorry, the market value of China's housing market reached about $73 trillion in 2021. This represents 17.9% increase in total market value compared to 2020. 
when considering the ratio of housing market value to GDP. China's housing market value in 2020 was already 414%. So the housing market alone, real estate market alone for in China was 400% of GDP. And that's higher than Japan. Japan in 1990, when they had the big bubble and like the the, pal the, the palace in the middle of Tokyo or whatever was worth more than all of Manhattan, something like that, um, or all of the state of California, I think it was, that um, they only ever reached 390% of their GDP and China surpassed 400% three years ago. All right, scrolling down here a little bit for the kicker. Let me find it. So even Wanda Group, one of China's oldest and largest real estate giants, is rumored to be at risk for a debt meltdown. Yields on two U.S. dollar bonds sold by its subsidiary, Wanda Properties Global, rose above 35% in April. Market analysts called the surge a sign that borrowers were having trouble raising new funds, exacerbating the risk of debt crisis and default. In late April, Finch Ratings placed Wanda Commercial and Wanda Commercial Properties on its negative watch list. So that is the whole article there. It looks like the Chinese real estate market can't find a bid. They cannot get bailed out of this. Also in this article that I didn't highlight was um, the regulators, the CCP, they're going in and punishing real estate companies for lowering their prices too much. So that, that is kind of like a ban on short selling or it's a ban on uh, prices going down and if they didn't have that pressure from the CCP, perhaps prices would be falling even more. So CK, any thoughts here on the Chinese housing market? I mean, from this article, it spells doom and gloom. Uh, I would like to say that, you know, these things, they it seems like they happen uh, gradually, then suddenly. So people have been shouting out doom and gloom for a long time. We yep. never know when that final shoe will drop. But I mean, when the regulators are banning short selling, you know, things are really, really bad. And obviously these double digit declines, I mean, it's huge. Like this is the cultural store of value in this country. Uh, and that means that a lot, a lot, a lot of people um, are down bad and they're hurting. And, you know, this was like six months ago, we were talking about people aren't paying their mortgages anymore. Uh, and there's, you know, they, they, there's also a culture of buying unfinished apartments and now these apartments aren't even being finished. So, uh, there's a lot of issues here and, uh, you know, it's something to keep an eye on. Uh, but again, uh, I think if you look at the facts of what's going down on the ground in China, you know, the China bulls have been wildly incorrect for a long time here. Yeah, exactly. We don't know when the collapse will happen, like you say, but we do, we can say that most likely with these type of numbers, there's not some imminent boom going to happen in China. China is not going to grow at 10% and save the world from global recession. Uh, so you have to look at this and be like, okay, Chinese re reopening is a nothing burger, which means the global economy is going to sink into recession, which means X, Y, Z. And so I think this is a very important indicator um, that, yeah, we, we aren't going to have runaway prices in commodities. We're not going to have um, China save the, save the global economy, basically. So, yeah, that's, that's what I would say where I, what I take away from stories like this. Of course, we can't predict the exact future of what's going to happen. But, hey, 
we can learn from this and apply this to other prices out there. So CK, so, any, and so I, I know we got to close it out, but yep. um, you know, you said global recession, you said China's not going to save us. And at the beginning of the show, you started with saying, is the U S in a depre depression or recession given, yep. you know, improved GDP in improved reports from these publicly traded companies. What is your global perspective on what is happening on the globe right now? Close us out. Oh, uh, I think, growth is going back to zero. Like I've been saying for a long time, I think we're going back to post GFC normal growth is going back to near zero, but so is inflation. So we are just going to grind lower and lower and that we're not going to be able to grow ourselves out of this debt bubble. We have to change the money. So if we have 0% growth for 10 years, it's going to feel like a depression, even though it's like not a textbook negative GDP time, uh, it's a zero GDP time. So that's, that's what I'm expecting uh, to happen. And in that period, you know, people look for alternatives. And that's why we hear the de-dollarization speculation out there. People saying, oh, there's going to be a BRICS currency because people are starting to look for an alternative to the existing system. Uh, and Bitcoin, hey, it's starting to, the Overton window of all of these different things are starting to open up and Bitcoin's right there to be talked about as an alternative. So that's how I see the global economy. That's how I see Bitcoin fitting into this. Awesome. Well, y'all, uh, it has been great to be back on FedWatch. One week break, but it was awesome to have Ansel on the on the live desk again here on, on Thursday. So Ansel's always holding it down on Thursday here on Bitcoin Magazine. I'm CK. I'm going to Bitcoin 2024. I'm going to Bitcoin <laughs> Amsterdam. Y'all should all be there too. Subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine. Get a ticket. See y'all here next week. What is up, audio listeners? Thank you for enjoying another episode of FedWatch. Down in the show notes, you will find all the appropriate links to our social media, the original version of this podcast, and community links. Also, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com, where I put out a free weekly newsletter every Friday. And there you can also help support the show by signing up to become a paid member. See you next time. Thank you, Miami, for the last three years in this amazing city. The whole world shut down, but Miami welcomed us with open arms. We want to show Bitcoin to the whole world. We are taking the conference on the road to set the stage for Bitcoin in a new city. Nashville. Bitcoin 2024 is coming to Nashville in Tennessee. A city that is known as a music and freedom city. Bitcoin 2024 in Nashville from July 25th to 27th. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com.